Activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome back to another episode of the Activators podcast with myself, Daniel Wilcox. And here with me every week is... It's me, Sarah. Sounds like you've been drinking. The alcohols. I mean, there's no way that you can prove or disprove that theory. This is true, but I've been with you all day and I know you haven't had a drink. I could be real sneaky. Oh, that means you've got a problem. So how are we doing, Sam? <laughs> um, well, touch... I was about to say touch all the wood, but that's that opens some some things. Um, currently, right now, considering the weekend I've had, I'm doing wonderful. Yes, I I I had a very big bout of like tempestuous. It was horrendous, just fully vomiting from exhaustion and and all the rest of it. So that wasn't great, but I've been able to take medicine and keep food down today. So I'm great. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Things personal-wise haven't relented, but we were having a conversation earlier, just mentally in an okay place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's it's frustrating because there is a lot of stuff that, as per usual, mm-hmm. I cannot talk about. But one of the main things I've been focusing on the last few weeks has been sleep, has been exercise, mm-hmm. has been food. You've been doing really well with the sleep and the exercise in particular. Not so much with the food. But I have re-employed my sister, Food Freedom with Becca, um, as a nutritionist to keep me accountable and to do that kind of stuff again. And that kicked off this week and we're slowly kind of rolling into stuff because so much of improvement comes with taking the small steps to start. And so the main thing that I'm focusing on, even though I'm not eating any better yet, is just for me at the minute, it's just remembering to log meals and stuff. Yeah. Um, and just once I can get into that and kind of forgive myself again for like, mm-hmm. you know, because it takes time to change yeah. stuff. Oh it's not God. easy. So my main focus this week is logging the food, stick to like some of the main bits. And then next week, I'm really kind of knuckling down on that. But like, it's really, it's helping in many ways, um, as are, again, a few other things that probably can't really be spoken about. But yeah, doing, doing okay. Good. Yeah. I think food is one of those difficult things because everybody has a complicated relationship with food i think there's very few people um that like go into adulthood with a very healthy relationship with food i mean no you know we use it as rewards which and we use it to like yeah i promised myself i wouldn't do that with kids and i find you find yourself just gravitating towards it and you find yourself like when you're sad you know you go to food and and, yeah yeah, so it becomes it becomes a whole thing Um, yeah so it is it's it is it's a it's a tricky onion to unpeel. <laughs> but yeah, it's you know the last well, all of this year really has been a bit of a journey. And I think Ugh. like one big step that I have taken is <laughs> it's gonna be like it's gonna be a take a shot thing soon, like stepping back from a lot of things. But I really, really am this time. Yeah. Like um I think since sort of twenty twenty 
probably before then I've really, really tied myself in knots with lots of different things. I think I'm finally getting to the point now where um, I don't like the word balance, but I'm feeling more like if you imagine like a pool of water that's been like disturbed and all this sit or silt and everything, I'm feeling like the water's clearing enough that I can sort of tackle. You've turned the wave machine off. Oh, sh- that's all I needed to do. Yeah. Uh, I've been trying to tell uh, you. I thought you were just waving. No, well, it's difficult because you keep splashing the water and then there's the fog on. Yeah, yeah. And then the waves out. And I'm like, turn it off. Oh, the beautiful fog on. Thanks. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's rolling. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been a good week. And so I'm going to jump straight in with something that I've enjoyed this week. Yeah, go for it. Um, Which might be yours. I'm afraid that I've stolen it. Is it research purposes? Yeah. You bastard. Well, you do it then, and I'll, no, I'll do a different one. you do it. Okay, so uh, you introduced me to uh, Limitless on Disney+, Plus, which is uh, Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor. Um, and it's a limited series in which he essentially investigates ways to live better and live longer mm-hmm. by doing these sort of insane big challenges that hone in on particular yes. things that are helpful. So, for example, one of them is cold exposure. Another mm-hmm. one is, like, strength and stamina. Another one is, like um fasting and sort of hunger and food and stuff so it's really interesting because not only is it obviously you know it's chris hemsworth so he's kind of he's worked on having a strong mindset to do all the stuff that he does anyway yeah but you, the fa- you can't get into that physical shape without it no and all of these challenges are difficult for him and require him to like show on camera the work and it shows sort of his vulnerable it's, moments yeah, it shows refreshing his, to see shows his strong moments and it also shows a lot of the science behind it so mm-hmm. like um I think I think there's a danger sometimes of people watching stuff like that and being like, well, it's Chris Hemsworth. Of course, he can do it. But it, I think a lot of it in there, it shows you these stories of people who are just normal people yes. um, and how they have embraced these particular things to make their lives better. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, it's it's a fantastic show for just helping you think about things a little differently. Yeah, I agree. It's it's one of those things. I, in fact, I said to you earlier, it's, it's the type of thing that I need to remind myself to keep in my life because mm-hmm. it keeps me on track in my brain of where I like want to go or I'm heading and I think it's so easy to get caught up with like negative thought spirals because you know we're surrounded by advertisements Mm. all day news Instagram TikTok social media all of the Karens Karens so many Karens mood hoovers (laughs) oh Oh. god Uh, it's so easy to misery daleks it's so easy to just get yourself like in a spiral even like if you're having a good day or you're in a good place in your life because our brains are naturally wired to look for the negative as a survival tool yes um and as with anything what you feed it and what you focus on those things grow um and so like for me personally i know because of how my brain works if i don't keep the things that i'm working on present yeah and i mean like within arm's reach or can see mm. um like i never unless i'm packing it i never shut my journal or my planner because yeah. the second i close it it's gone it's gone it's done yeah. yeah yeah well it seems to have coincided as well with um i've been listening to jay shetty's think like a monk mm. um which is obviously a lot of mindset work and stuff and like i I'm just finding that like one of the big things I've really been missing in a lot of ways is gratitude because there are a lot of things that are very much out of my control at the minute that are even though they're out of my control they're affecting like the personal on a very like day-to-day basis yeah a very direct level and so trying to 
not focus too much on that which I can't and that which I am thankful for and yeah. that, you know sharing the gratitude and like I used to think it was really really woo woo stuff all that kind of like mm. thank you like even just for the cup of tea that I've got and all that kind of stuff but like it genuinely really has an impact in helping you sort of ground yourself in that moment not get lost in other stuff that's going on and just mm. you know you I, I've said this for years but also at the same time as I've said repeatedly like it's very easy to go in that and it is a constant battle it's a constant yes, like really I don't is. think anyone ever truly like achieves enlightenment or conquers it's you know not something this you win. Kind of stuff. it's something you maintain no to the best of your ability yeah and so yeah just being thankful in those moments and having like just taking a breath and being like this is it, this is okay this is where you're at and mm-hmm. it, it prevents you from from sort of suffering twice yeah so yeah what have you enjoyed <laughs> Well, first of all, just to clarify research purposes, um, I showed my son a couple of weeks ago a <laughs> montage of the actor Stephen Amell, who plays Arrow in DC's Arrow. Um, and he's in incredible shape. He fit. He fit. <laughs> um, like, he can do the most insane things. He trains um, when he's like, I don't know if it's still shooting now, but I know that in between seasons like he would train with hardcore specialists mm. um and the difference between his kind of muscle and Hemsworth's muscle is he does he can do things like the rope climb and stuff show versus tell yes exactly <laughs> um so i was i was showing miles this because miles has just started to learn the beauty of kind of like being able to do pull-ups and things and also he mm. loves the fact that his mum can't do a single pull-up and he can do like four on a tree like a boss yeah. um and I said, I'm going to show you something. And before I even said it, he was like, is it a half-naked man working out? And I would just like to say at this point, I've never shown it anything like that to him before. So <laughs> I was like, for research purposes. And that's become now a thing for whenever, like, there is... Irving. Yeah. So Miles is like, is this for research purposes? Um, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that is definitely something I've enjoyed <laughs> this week. Research purposes. Yeah. Um I think, I think, so that is the thing I've enjoyed, but I'll, I'll move it slightly in the sense of I've started to very slowly feel my mind click back mm-hmm. into like a positive space. Nothing has changed physically. Um, I'm really trying to focus on what I'm putting into my body just because the NHS is, you know, crumbling around us and we still are not helping Sam. No, we're still no closer to any answers of what's going on. That's what it stands for. Not helping Sam. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well done. I'm so sorry. That took me way too long to realise that was very good. Well done. <laughs> um, And so I'm trying to focus on anything that I can do that will help me or make me feel better. Um, so I'm starting with the basics. So food, water, like I'm I'm attempting um, to go on little walks when I can. Just anything that, you know, can help me. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I'm finding, like I say, things like Limitless just remind me of where my brain can, can sit and has sat and will sit mm. when I like you know just give myself the space and time to have that growth and 
I think it's really important, and we've spoken about this on this podcast and personally, to keep in mind that, you know, that's not to say that from here on out, I, like, neglect any negative and, you know, negative in, in air quotes, hmm. emotions or anything like that, because I I truly think that being a healthy, well-rounded human, especially when it comes to mindset, is to understand that we have those days we have those months we have those years when when things really are like battering against you mm. and it's about resilience i think that's the best you can you can do in those times is that strength is resilience and it's it's about being able to get back up afterwards it's not about just saying no nothing bad is happening or these horrible things are happening but i'm i'm grateful for the cup of tea so like everything else is fine <laughs> yeah. it's about using them in a healthy way and not you know because, because there's such a thing as like toxic positivity yeah. like it, you can take anything too far yeah by the day last week in which i was you know I, I went out to do some work was really sort of struggling mentally to get past some of the blocks mm -hmm. that i've got and so just resigned myself to do the minimum that day that needed doing. And... I was really proud of you, actually, for coming back and just being like, not yeah. today. Yeah. Like, it, it was one of those where if I was going to push through, it would have done more harm. Than it would, yeah, it would have. definitely. And then it's just, you know, for people, you know, that have experienced burnout in a big way, it's that kind of thing. You really want to push through, but you just can't. No. And it just makes it worse each day that you like pile that on and pile that on and pile that on. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Push me along. Mm. You're doing the good cookie. Yeah. You done did the good cookie. You done did the good cookie. <laughs> uh, and speaking of good cookies, yeah. segue, uh, <laughs> our win from the community this week is the return of the <gasps> wonderful Saskia. Good cookie is that a reference to her best ever Christmas present. No, I'm not going to show that you that on the podcast. No, it wasn't a cookie. No, but no, it wasn't. But um, I love you, Saskia. <laughs> and I agree, that is the best Christmas present one could possibly receive. Saskia's back. Yeah, she is. And Saskia's win is that she started writing on a regular basis in the mornings before work. Love you. Huge win because there have been a lot of things in the background as well that have been pulling Saskia away and she has done her rightly by... <laughs> that wasn't good English. I'm very tired. We we're it's recording late. this quite late in the... <laughs> um, but no, she's done the good thing by allowing herself again that grace mm -hmm. to kind of tackle what needs tackling because you know we we've said it before like we love writing and writing's wonderful but like no one's gonna die unless if you stop writing no so unless never mind um, yeah unless it's a weird kind of sore situation yeah is that what your brain was kind of yeah yeah sore five in cinema soon um, <laughs> no thanks and with that I guess we go into the question yes and okay so we've focused a lot on kind of mindset and um you know just how to deal with those things i think for the past couple of weeks so i thought let's bring it back a little bit this week let's do some writing tips cool. so my question slash statement this week i guess kind of is i am getting around to it i promise <laughs> your top three tips to make a scene sing uh okay so number one write it good <laughs> also to clarify a scene being a string of events that you mm -hmm. detail in the book that tell part of this story so obviously like it's not going to tell the whole story um but i mean for, so to start very very basic the way that i look at scenes is very much when i'm coming up with an idea of a situation a locale a thing that's going to happen 
the main place that I go is what is what is the change in this in this mm-hmm. story? What what am I capturing in this moment in time that is actually going to impact the right the the characters that are in the story and the overall story itself? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it really is as simple as if you look at like the global story, you've got your beginning, your middle, your middle and your end. Yeah. If you look at the five act structure, you've got the inciting incident and then you've got all the, the conflict, the kicking out, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right up until the um, all the scaling action, right up to the climax and back down. Mm-hmm. And that really is a template for a story and a scene. Yes. So within that scene, it's really boring if somebody walks into a shop, buys something and there's no consequence or anything for mm-hmm. what they've done. Like something has to happen. Something yeah. has to be made by choice some choice needs to be inflicted upon someone something needs to happen that makes it so that the characters at the end are not where they are at the beginning agreed and that can be a good thing mm-hmm. like they can improve because of the scene or that can be a negative thing and the way i started learning about these was um years ago when i first sort of started to get into the, the writing games like 2015 2016 i used to listen to a lot of story grow podcasts with mm-hmm. uh sean Coyne and tim someone it's been that long since i've listened to it i can i can't remember his name weird last name I know, Tim someone. And what was really cool about that was Sean Coyne was using the story grid method to go through scene by scene of Tim's book mm-hmm. and to break it down and say, you know, what's happening here, what's happening here. And the good thing about the story grid was it was incredibly in depth. Yeah. So they have it on their website. They have all these download cheat sheets. They have, you know, Excel spreadsheets where it's like, you know, say it's a positive scene here is it going into extra positive or is it going into uh negative or extra negative that's not the, the exact terms but you're lost on spreadsheet but sure keep but that, that's kind of the sense of it so they kind of measure the impact in each scene mm-hmm. of like where does it begin and where does it end is it positive for the hero the hero is it negative for the hero and in breaking all of this down it really kind of highlighted for me to avoid a flat scene you just yes. you just don't want nothing to happen in the scene it might be very nice for people to like sit around the campfire and just chat but like if there isn't tension between the character, if mm-hmm. something good isn't delivered, like it's it, it's just pointless and it is a waste of your time as a Agreed. reader. Um and we do, we like I, I know that I really enjoy writing just it'd be really cool to just sit and write scenes where you just like I get to play with the characters. Mm-hmm. But it's boring for the reader. It's just boring. It is if the, if it's pointless. Yeah. So my top tip really is a scene is change mm-hmm. and changes in the scene. Like if it's not moving anywhere, then take it out of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, or incorporate it in a different way or jazz it up and add some sort of action and stuff to it. Um, the other tip, uh, generally when it comes to scenes, and this is something that I've, I'm not looking at your notes. You will stop copying off my notes. Well, so it kind of relays into this, actually. Is I mentioned there um, a story grid. Yes. There are a thousand different story methodologies on how to write a story. Mm-hmm. My top tip is that they're all the same. Yeah, they are. There is one way to write a scene mm-hmm. and that is kind of as simple as change must happen oh. that's not to say any of these methodologies are wrong no or that or that it's a simple thing no absolutely so all of these methodologies exist like you've got the books there i won't go into them but like the snowflake method you've mm-hmm. got story grid you've mm-hmm. got uh jay thorne and zach bohannon have done the three story method with the three c's all these different things yep all of these are different lenses to look at the same things to yeah. match with people's different brains so that you yes. can process it in a different way. So exactly. story grid really helped me uh, confirm my understanding of the fundamentals, mm-hmm. but it's way too detailed for me. Mm-hmm. Like I am not a person who will go through my scene and track it down. And it feels write. like paint by numbers. I think. It re- yeah. Even if, cause you can go through it in hindsight and kind mm-hmm. of like use it as an editing tool. So once you've written your story, go, okay, does this all work? Yeah. Um, For me, it really is a, uh, 
like I think Jay and Zach's method are probably the closest to simplicity that I find that works for me. And that is uh, choice. No. Oh, I have the notes here. Wait. <laughs> Conflict, choice and consequence. Mm-hmm. So what is the friction in the scene? Yeah. What is the choice that a character must make? And then what's the consequence of that choice? Yeah. And again, that can scale from something as simple as like, what color yo-yo are you going to have? And how does that impact the story? Mm. To holy crap, like, which way do we run away from this flaming volcano? You know, green is illegal and that's for bad. Exactly. And that's for bad. Yeah. Um, and so tip number one, scene has changed. So, uh, tip number two, all of these methodologies, find one that works for you. Yeah find read them understand them but mm-hmm. it all comes back to the basic beginning middle and end conflict choice and consequence it's because i never Brilliant. it's because i can't remember in the right order but then this is also my point because i i learn this stuff and then Forget i internalize it. it well this is this is the thing sorry to interrupt you but like as you were talking you were reminding me very much of one of the like big lessons that we uh, were taught at drama school which is you do all of this prep work mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like literally you, there is a, there is a methodology of breaking down the script where like beat by beat, sentence by sentence, word by word, you choose how you are going to deliver that word. Mm-hmm. There is a, I have a, um, uh, like a, I think it's called the action thesaurus, which has all different verbs in it. So you can choose sentence by sentence, how you want your character to deliver these two words. Yeah. And it literally, it gets that detailed. Mm-hmm. And you do the work, you do the work, and then you throw the fucking thing out and you forget yeah. that you've done the work because mm-hmm. you've internalised it, like you say, and then you can... Because if you're, like, constantly looking, okay, at the worksheet and then, right, it's going to feel like you've been looking at a worksheet when you yeah. write it. Yeah. Sorry it's it's the path of learning. And there's, um, yeah. it's, there's like, a, a scale of four things in which... Uh, on to, to begin with it's uh unconscious incompetence so you're not aware of you're not aware of the things that you don't know yes i live there and <laughs> and then it's uh conscious incompetence so mm-hmm. you're aware that you don't know the thing and so you're tr- going to take the steps to do yep. the thing and then you have conscious competence where you begin to understand the thing that you're trying to understand mm-hmm. and then you have unconscious competence in which you just do things instinctively so if you yeah. think of this as like driving a car and again like just for clarity we're talking about dolphins rockets <laughs> we're talking about building scenes but we're also talking about writing in general and the process yes, of learning absolutely. writing you before you start writing you have no idea what's going on you don't know like any terms any terminology anything like that you're like oh my god this this is weird i don't know the things i don't know mm-hmm. when you come to learning you start to become aware of the things that you don't know which is kind of what this process is you know yep. you're going through the books you're flicking through the stuff you're understanding mm-hmm. structure methodology you're reading books in a different way to begin yeah. understanding what how these lessons apply conscious competence you're starting to go okay i know this I'm beginning to develop an understanding. I can do this, but I'm still very, very aware that I'm thinking while I'm doing it. Still got your flashcards. Yeah. So, like when you're driving, it's sort of, well, learning to drive, it's the later parts of the lesson where you're like, I know what to do, but I'm still not like, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. And then now, you know, I've been driving for, oh God, don't do this, 15 years. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm at a point in which I don't even think about it because I've, had enough practice and learned enough and that's kind of like where i am with scene building like i i, I was about to be such a bitch then and i decided not to be don't <laughs> and so i i've written enough scenes to kind of know the feel of how these go yes um but yeah it's 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 a process uh and as i say like none of the methodologies are necessarily right nor are they wrong it's finding the ones that work best for you to help mm. tell your story um and we kind of touched on this before but like you know there are specific ones for different areas so yeah. like 
Uh, Romance in the Beat goes much more into sort of the structure of that story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hero's Journey focuses mm. more on like fantasy and like big hero stories and stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's number two. Um, number three Your is... Here. I didn't write any notes for this one, really. Again, this is me. Off the cuff, man, because you just know it. Unconscious competence. Yep. Uh, you made me forget what it was again. Number three is... Oh, that's it. Um, kind of links to the last one as well. Trying not to get too bogged down in details. The truth of the matter is, when people talk about the difference between scenes and chapters, mm-hmm. I don't really know. Well, because like you can have multiple scenes in a chapter, but you can't have multiple chapters. That's not how I view chapter. it in my head or how okay, I understand. It. Like I know exactly yeah, what yeah, it means, yeah. but for me, like I don't really differentiate because I see. Personally, when I'm writing and thinking stuff, I see chapters. Yes. And they same. might have multiple scenes in them, which is fair enough. But like, I, I never in my head think granular enough to a scene yeah, level. No, I kind I of, mean. because I try and keep a lot of like the larger story mm-hmm. and then just move the action forward. Mm-hmm. But like, it all comes down again to uh, structure of whatever genre you're in, however you want to write. But um, you look at like a book like Hunger Games, it's very much written. A chapter is essentially the scene. Yes. Like a whole scene is a chapter. You look at people like um, Stephen King and he has chapters or big sections in which it's a series of scenes that make up a really big section. Mm-hmm. Like he'll have his um, like chapter name and then like one, two, three. And they're not on like separate pages. They kind of all bleed into each other because oh, they're Jesus. just isolated scenes. Yeah. Um, which I I really like, to be fair, because it's, it's got a weird kind of flow to it. I've never read any King. Fair. It is something that I'm, I'm interested in, but yeah. I'm terrified of. Well, there's a few authors that tackle it in that approach mm-hmm. um but again the point being like if you have a bigger chapter you can break that down and just have you know a scene here a couple of scenes here or whatever mm-hmm. like personally for me just don't get bogged down in detail because the story is king as long as agree as long as you've got a beginning middle and end to whatever it's you're writing as mm-hmm. long as there's that choice that conflict that consequence in there as long as it feels like the story's moving forward. And that really, when I first started writing, I did not understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. Like, I could not in my head. It's just like, does it serve the story? Yeah, it's in my book. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't yeah. be in there if it didn't serve the story. Yes, it would. I have read a lot of books. A lot of my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've read a lot of books where you're like, this is unnecessary. Yeah. This doesn't need to be here. This is boring. This is too long. Yeah. I'm losing interest. This uh, is like... I've read quite a few. Like You're wanking. Stop it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're, but yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um so yeah, that's kind of my umbrella view on the things. What are your what are your tips? Well, before, Give us your two cents. Three <laughs> cents. cents. Before I go into it, I completely agree with what you said. Story is king. And I am gonna quote Ms. Kendrick. Ooh. Yeah. Um who on someone asking a question about kind of like how many words should be in a scene or how many, like, you know, how many words should be in the book, how many chapters, how long should the chapters be? And she said, honestly, I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. The story will be as long as the story should be. Mm-hmm. And like that, I, there is so much truth in that. Like she is a very raw storyteller. And I don't mean that in her ability. I mean, in the sense of, if it serves the story, she's all about it. She doesn't give a shit about anything else. No. And I think, like, there's quite a few people that could take a lesson from that. Because yeah. readers don't care how many words are in your book. 
No, this is this is why I've started, like started taking like novella off of my mm-hmm. books because that's more a thing for writers and it's for readers. Like, yeah. Readers don't know what a novella is really. No. Um, but it's that thing of again, kind of coming back to the unconscious incompetence thing. When you're beginning to learn to write and when you're beginning to look at scenes and understand scenes, I I've started to compare this a lot to like music. Yeah. So like when you're learning how to play an instrument, mm-hmm. you don't just start by like playing the keys because you don't understand, you know. Um, harmonics you don't understand arpeggios mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff but you begin to understand what the 13 notes do and how to use them in a certain order by copying other people and how they yes. play you read their music you understand them mm-hmm. and you learn the basic format of what that is once you know enough and once it's you know reached that point of unconscious competence mm-hmm. you can then play and you can yeah. then do what you want to but if you're very very early in the journey and you're, you're getting the impression that we're saying like just follow your heart or whatever learn this stuff yeah you have you, look you have to you have to know the rules to be able to break them. You have yeah. to know the rules to be able to play with them. Like, you know, you have to pass your driving test. Before you can do a wheelie in an Asda car park. Yeah, you can't just go around doing donuts. And endos. Bloody endos. Anyway. <laughs> what are your three? So um, my three are, and I will say what they are, and then I'll go into each one individually. So ground the scene. Act, react, and POV. 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 Mm. Um, so number one, grounding your scene. And this is something that's really important to do um, for your reader. Um, and what I mean by grounding the scene is, like, where is it? So, like, uh, where is yeah. the scene? Um, like, what has just happened? It's just context. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Like, what is, what's, like, recently happened in the characters that are in that scene? Like, what is the time of day? What's the weather like? Mm-hmm. And there is a myriad of ways of doing that. Like, you can literally be like, Tommy was, like, you know, four days into the trek, Tommy was starting to see, like, mirages on the horizon as the sun mm-hmm. lowered. Mm-hmm. Like, already we know, like... He's still fucking walking from last time. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's starting to hallucinate. The sun's going down, it's almost night time. So it's probably pretty he's hot not at the in minute. A good place. He's not in a good place. But you know, it literally you can just by talking about the stars in the sky, we know it's night time. Yeah. You don't have to be like, it was four fifty eight on September the fifth. Yeah. I have read a few stories in which it's taken about three pages before I've kind of started to understand where they are and what's going on. I've had to flick back to be like, what? Yeah. Really can pull you out as a reader. Well, you're painting a picture, aren't you? And you have to. I mean, I, I say you have to. Like, it's not hard and fast rule to open the first sentence by mm-hmm. like looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. But at least somehow get to it. Yeah. Like somewhat quickly. Yeah. And like, I think there are a few exceptions to the rule. So, for example, if you're one of your characters is I don't know, like being held in a dungeon, then plays to your advantage as a writer to not know what time it is to not know yeah like how long they've been there but then you can play with that and but that they, becomes the reader fun. still needs to know that they don't know yes so you still have to ground it but yeah. what i'm saying is you don't have to mention the time or anything no. like that because you know they're in a place where they don't know any of that thing and psych- their psychology will be going crazy and there are shortcuts i mean if you're halfway through a book and earlier in the book you mentioned a tavern in which there's i don't know like a fawn behind the bar called phil yeah, fill the form. Fill the TTs. Um, then later on in the scene, if you if later on in the book, if you suddenly just like, oh, he looked at Phil, mm-hmm. like you assume that they're in the bar. Yeah, like you can you can do those inferences and, yeah. and let let the reader make 
their their mind up, but at mm-hmm. least have that initial introduction to yeah. help them along the way. And I will say as well, especially um, like for me, I'm still a relatively like young writer, as in my experience, not my age. <laughs> um, so oh, that makes me <laughs> your age. The elder. So a lot of the time, <laughs> I will like when I'm going back through my work. I will be I will make sure that I have like on a post-it note the like a few of these things to make sure that okay each scene has something that kind of um so that's always something to, a good thing to check when you're editing. Yes, 100%. Um okay, so the next one ne- the next one the next one is act or react. Mm-hmm. So much like you were saying each scene has to have a point it has to have a purpose. Yeah. Are the characters in this scene being proactive are they acting of their own volition to do something have they made a plan to storm the keep for example or are they reacting to something that has happened to them either of those things there is conflict in that there is you know a lot of room for play and all the rest of it but there has to be some kind of movement Mm -hmm. and movement doesn't mean like physically moving yeah like the movement can literally be if you know if it's a first person thing it could be an inner monologue but it has to be like dynamic she started off dreaming and then she woke up with a realization yeah like that has a consequence of the dream yeah there has to be like you know action and reaction and in a book like in real life sometimes we make choices sometimes choices are made for us and so that you have to know like what's going on in 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 that way i think it's really important to have that kind of um i just went to sleep for a second (laughs) That's a whole book, isn't it? Like the, the entire book yeah. is just a string of reacting and acting. Yeah, as life is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would say that kind of, particularly if you're going on like a hero's journey or, or, that, or a heroine's journey, that kind of thing. One day I will. <laughs> as you get closer to the end, you're going to want the hero or the heroine of the piece to make more of those proactive choices, even if they're re- reacting to something, because that is how we grow as humans we we you know we take the things that we can't change but we can still we choose how to react to them and then choosing your reaction that is a proactive action as opposed to you know a knee-jerk reaction to something that has just happened yeah and bringing it back to the story structure conversation we had on an episode a a few months ago like like you say the rising action is one Mm -hmm. of the biggest steps in the five act structure you've got your inciting incident into the rising action with each obstacle each situation that your protagonist hits it has to increase oh excuse me an alarm's going off unbelievable but it should as it goes on like you say it gets more difficult and more difficult yes. i avoid it saying harder and harder then more <laughs> difficult so if you look at like something as simple as um you know hercules like the film he starts off like his first task is to go to an island and find philatetes that's not really like a difficult task no, like, <laughs> well exactly you have to like fuck up a cyclops and yeah. then dive into like a pool of dead people and spoilers if you haven't seen hercules yeah, but say bless my soul hercules on a roll exactly and then he got eaten on that roll um but With <laughs> but that's the point like it gets more difficult it gets more difficult it gets more difficult like hunger games the first choice is i will volunteer which is i know the consequences of that are huge yeah, but, but that actual... choice yeah just being able to go yes that's yeah and it's just got huge implications and it gets more difficult and harder gets harder and, and harder, harder and harder. harder yeah um and then i would say the third um important thing to remember is whose point of view is this from yes big one like it's so important like 
to know whose lens you are looking at the scene mm-hmm. through. Because if the reader doesn't know within the first sentence, the first, at least the first freaking paragraph. I've had this as well where I've really gotten lost. So confusing. Yeah. So confusing. You need to know who you are with. So like, for example, Lord of the Rings is the first, or even like The yeah. Wheel of Time. Like I'm thinking of epic fantasy at the minute. Uh, where you have a big cast of characters, it starts off small and you generally stay with the same person mm-hmm. for quite a while. And then as their world gets bigger, the reader's world gets bigger and, you know, parties separate. And and you you have chunks of the book where in Lords of the Rings, for example, you know, Merry and Pippin are together yeah. for a while and you have, and then like Frodo and Sam and Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli. And you, you have these huge sections where you're just following these characters. Yeah. You need to know immediately when like, when you start a new chapter, when you start a new scene, I need to know who I'm with. Mm-hmm. And so there are some like really easy ways to do that. Number one, you could start off, this is very simple. You could start off the, like the chapter saying, Sam and Frodo. Okay, cool. I know who I'm with. Yeah. Or if you don't want to start off every like scene or chapter by like name drop- dropping the characters, then it's your job as a writer to make sure that these characters are so 3D and have like very specific mm-hmm. things that anchor them to them. So for example, um I'm listening, re-listening to um the Wheel of Time series at the moment. And there are some characters that have such a unique voice. I don't need to know their name because I know who it is yes. as soon as I'm reading. Like there's a character, um, see, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I know who he is. He's a like he's a captain. And he's fond of saying, like, um, I won't give my mother a free ride huh. or like bless my aged grandmother. Mm. Like he's he's always talking about like, <laughs> I'm a fair man, but I wouldn't give my own mother a free ride on my yeah. boat. Yeah. Like, so it's you just know from turns of phrases, from like how you write them, how they react, who they are. But like, for the love of God, make sure your reader knows within, yeah. I would say, within the first line. Yeah, and there are who the fuck you're with. <laughs> there are formatting ways to do that as well. I've seen it where people have put sort of embellishments in the chapter headings. So mm-hmm. like by the numbers, it'll be like a rose for a character or like a thorn for another one. Like yeah. I've seen people do that. But yeah, it's like you can write scenes in which you're switching perspectives a lot between different characters. It's very difficult to do well. I've known mm. a few people that do. But for simplicity's sake, it does behoove you to, as you say, sort of know who that character is from the beginning and kind of really because again, I've I can't remember what book it was, and I wouldn't name it anyway, like on here if I if if what if I knew what it was. Um, I do remember getting to like particular chapters and thinking that I was reading someone and being like, "Well, this is a bit strange," and then it introduces another character. And on that note as well, if you're if you haven't introduced another POV for like the first half of the book, and then you suddenly introduce a new POV, this is more important than ever because like yeah, it really people is. need to know. Yeah, I'm. Like I say, for for me, my frame of reference with this is more like epic fantasy, where, as I say, you know, you, you usually start off with a more singular POV, and then as the party breaks up into like separate missions, or you know, for for whatever happens, we follow different POVs. Number one, like you say, it's more important than ever <clears throat> because we need to know that the format's changed. As a reader, yeah. we need to understand. Okay, I'm no longer following Jimmy. I'm now following Sarah. Well, look at the difference between Aragorn and Pippin. Yeah. And and you could read Pippin as Aragorn if they don't tell you. It and you could be like, what the fuck is happening? Why is he up a tree? <laughs> it's so con- it is so confusing if you don't know. 
and I would say as well, if you are going to introduce POVs later in the game, like for example, if you are writing an epic fantasy, do it at a point that makes sense. Yeah. So like when you're following Frodo and Sam, you know you're following Frodo and Sam, but you're always following Frodo. It's through Frodo. And it's not until they yeah. break up that you can see it from someone else's yeah. perspective. So like do it at a point that makes sense. Otherwise you're going to confuse the shit out of your readers. So mm-hmm. to recap, um, ground the scene, act and react and POV. And I've just written a, a few little notes down here, which is mostly really agreeing with what you said. So each scene is its own story, mm-hmm. which means that each scene needs to have like a beginning, middle and end. Um, and yeah, so conflict and resolution, cliffhangers, answer some questions that you've opened in yeah. other scenes, other chapters, and open some other questions. Never answer all of the questions. No. Because that's a guaranteed way to... Why read now? Give people a chance to drop off. Yeah, you've yeah. removed all of the conflict. Um, so yeah, there there are some other things to keep in mind. But I think yeah, I think for the most part, like for from my perspective, like just bear your reader in mind because if you mm. remove that conflict for them, as in the sense of the the conflict between them and being able to get into your book, mm. they're going to read it and enjoy it more if they know where they are, who they're following, mm. and like why the scene matters. Yeah. Because you want to connect with the character. That's the whole point. Like yeah. it's the emotional pull of a reader going, I want to know what happened to this person yeah. that keeps someone reading. Um, and it's worth adding as well. I think that a lot of this evaluation is best served in editing. Yes. Like we, we say a lot on here, write that first um, draft just as best you can, like arguably as quick as you can, whatever that looks like. And then worry about a lot of this stuff in post because it might be a case of, you know, you really want to write this scene that you find out later serves no purpose mm-hmm. cut it later and then you've got like bonus extra for your readers yeah. and things but like so much of you don't want to bog yourself down in the valuation during that first no. draft no in my opinion and i think as well so you're definitely at the let me see if i can remember the subconscious competence whereas i'm at the com- conscious yeah. competence stage so for me editing takes a lot longer because i I'm going to comb through everything and I'm going to make sure that like each each round of edits I'm focusing on a different thing whereas which means that my first drafts are a lot messier and they take a lot longer to rein in where you've been writing for a, a long time and in that time you've written a lot more than most people so your first drafts I've read them and they make me sick are a lot cleaner but they make me sick in the sense of like you have put in the work to get to that point. Mm. I'm not being like you're just naturally talented, you asshole. Like you've worked your ass I mean, off. I've still got my first story <laughs> to get to that point. So the more you work, the more subconscious these things become. The yeah. less then you have to worry about these things in editing because they will just become mm-hmm. natural to you um, as you are writing. Yeah, a lot of this stuff sounds really intimidating, especially when you're sort of earlier in your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just remember that you know this work pays off yeah stick with it learn the things really try and like take your time and understand again like if you look at you know driving when you get first get in the car you don't just like hit the gas and go you kind of go like oh my god what do these three pedals do okay crap it's the biting point yeah where what where's the dolphin's pocket where the hell is the windscreen wiper yeah god yeah (laughs) i remember buying getting my first car and getting in the car and being like i had to turn the lights on and it was like, because it was an old, old car, it was a very weird, yeah. different way. And I was like, uh, <laughs> still fine. Um, 
but yeah good question good question i like that Thank one you. um and obviously like you know it's it's fundamental i like that we're kind of getting more granular we've started on some quite big concepts and stuff yeah. look at more of the this kind of stuff so yeah for um resources what's yes. your what's your top resource for okay. people so i have these books here um and i found these invaluable actually when i first started reading up so the the one that serves the exact question that we've asked mm -hmm. today is how to write a dynamite scene using the snowflake method by randy ingermanson is i believe how you say it i shall hold it up for the camera if you are watching um and like the snowflake method for me personally made a lot of sense um and if you don't know what the snowflake method is i also have here uh with some sticky notes um how to write using the snowflake method um, and this is a really, it's a fun book in the sense of he shows you how to do it by teaching it through a story. It's That's very, cool. it's, it, but it's very cool. Um, and it's kind of, like you say, some things work for people, some things don't. Um, but this is like, basically you start off with one line and you end up with your story yeah. um, through different things. And so then when I found out that he'd done like how to write a scene using it. Yeah. And it and it like it covers everything and it is very detailed. Um, but again, like the original, it basically you start off very small, um, and you add to it because his whole shtick is that like if I asked you to draw a perfect complex um snowflake, uh there's a name for it, I can't think of it, um, you would struggle. But if I asked you to draw one triangle mm -hmm. and then another triangle and after a time we would have that perfect shape I mean, it's a perfect euphemism for a book yeah so like for me personally and i'll put it in the show notes these two books out of any other kind of writing books have made the most sense for me yes and i really will underline that because yeah. some people will read that and it won't make any sense to them or it will feel way too convoluted or not strict enough mm -hmm. um but yeah so that's that's kind of my top resources for yeah. this and yours you already mentioned but do you want to yeah i'd um i would recommend three story method by jay thorne and zach bohannon i think that's very um because it, it came out a couple of years ago so it's got a lot of uh it looks at a lot of the other methods mm -hmm. and how they apply to kind of how they put this methodology together it's very yeah. very current um story grid again is a fantastic resource i I'm, I'm pretty sure the podcast is still going i'm not 100 percent sure but i know that um sean coin is still doing a lot of editing stuff with story grid um and then i would say primarily the way that I've learned a lot of this stuff is just by consciously paying attention to what I'm reading and what I'm watching. Yeah. If you watch TV shows, if you watch films and things and really pay attention to like a moment or like the scene that they mm -hmm. have, like whether in a room, what happens when they flash to another situation. Um, it teaches you that, you know, something's happening all the time, yes. especially if you're watching soap operas, it's just drama to drama to the yeah. point that it's quite aggressively annoying. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but yeah, just really take a moment as you're reading. If you finish a chapter and just go, okay, what happened here? Or if you're watching a film, like pause it, piss off your partner, and go, <laughs> what happened here? So I just want to watch a fucking film. Um, What's the point of it as well? What was the point? If you can't, like when you finish watching a section or finish reading a chapter, if you can't figure out what the point of it was, then it's probably... And the cool thing is, necessary. once you do a lot of this work, you begin to know how films end very, very early on. Yeah, it's a cool do. party trick to piss off everyone in the room. <laughs> I knew Bruce Willis was dead. I've not, I've not seen Pulp Fiction yet. I didn't. I'm uh, so sorry. 
<laughs> awesome. I thought um, you'd watched Kill Bill already. Yeah. <laughs> so that is uh, top tips on writing a scene. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess that brings us to the end. So just a plug from us mm. is uh, by all means, if if you want to find a really cool writing community, just mosey on over. Mosey. Just mosey on over just to. That's a shimmy, isn't it? Is that a mosey? Activatedauthors.com, where you can join our community free of goddamn charge. Free of charge. Just jump in, meet a load of other really cool writers doing some amazing things over there. If you fancy getting involved in weekly sprints and other stuff behind the scenes, you can mm-hmm. join AA+, Plus, which is our uh, paid membership, where you can jump in and get a bunch of added benefits. And uh, Happy ending. Happy ending. And uh, yeah, that's... That's where we'll leave it today. So there's nothing left to do other than say a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you and the time you choose to spend with us each and every week. Yeah. And if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, head on over to HTTPS semicolon forward slash forward slash www period activated authors period com to find out all about our community, our resources and everything else that we've got going on. One more time from myself and from Dan. We will see you next week. Rude. <laughs> I used to see you doing a very good impression of me. Is it? It is. I mean, I kill me dead. I'm glad that that website ended. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Activate your energy.